the sun rises over the San Joaquin Valley, California. Today is October 20th, 2020. It's time to talk about vaccines again. The AACIP, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, posted new recommendations for meningococcal vaccinations on September 25th, 2020. As a refreshment, there are two kinds of meningococcal vaccines in the U.S. One, the meningococcal conjugate, or MEN-A-C-W-Y, vaccines, Menactra, Menvio, and Menquadfi. And two, the serogroup B meningococcal, or MEN-B vaccines, Vexero and Trumenba. Let's review how they are given. Okay, so let's start with the meningococcal conjugate, or Menactra, Menveo, and Menquadfi. So the meningococcal conjugate vaccine should be given to all patients at 11 to 12 years old with a booster dose at age 16. Remember, it's a two-dose series. The booster dose at age 16 is extremely important to provide protection during the ages of highest risk of infection which is around college. So that was easy. You know, remember it's two doses to everybody. The hardest part is to remember the patients are younger than 10 because only those patients receive the routine meningococcal conjugate vaccine before age 11. Okay. So let's review that, Ariana. Okay, so reviewing the men a conjugate, we're gonna be giving it to all patients 11 to 12 years old, with a booster dose at age 16. Exactly. And then anybody before age 11, if they're at high risk. Perfect. So and what about for the special groups? Well, let's talk about those special groups. This vaccine is given to patients older than two months old only if they are at increased risk for meningitis. For example, persistent complement component deficiencies, Persons receiving a complement inhibitor, such as eclizumab, solaris, or revulzumab, ultramiris. Ultramiris, yeah. Ultim mm -hmm. Persons who have anatomic or functional asplenia, persons with HIV infection, microbiologists routinely exposed to meningitis, persons at increased risk in an outbreak, persons who travel to or live in hyperendemic or epidemic areas, unvaccinated or incompletely vaccinated first-year college students living in dorms, and military recruits. I invite you to consult ACIP recommendations regarding vaccination in special groups. So again, this is for the meningococcal conjugate before age 11. So those only the, the only the people in special groups receive that vaccine. So let's talk about Meningococcal B or men B in that group is Bexero and Trumemba. So men B is given only to people who decide that they want to get it. So it's not recommended to all adolescents, only to adolescent and young adults between the ages of 16 and 23. The preferred age is 16 to 18 years old on the basis of shared clinical decision. Those who decide to receive the men B vaccine receive two doses, one to six months apart, depending on the brand name they use. Men B vaccines are not recommended before age 10 in any case. Remember, no age 10 or, or younger. And adults older than 24 
only if they are in a special group, if they are at increased risk. So let's go over those special groups again. But before we do, let's remember, men B is not routinely given. But the special groups that are given the vaccine are recommended are patients with certain medical conditions, like persons with persistent complement component deficiencies, receiving a complement inhibitor with anatomic or functional asplenia, microbiologists exposed to isolates of meningitis, and person at risk in outbreaks should receive the serogroup B meningitis vaccine. These recommendations will be included in the updated 2021 immunization schedules, and the AAFP will review changes to the schedules once they are available. This is Rio Bravo Q Week, your weekly dose of knowledge brought to you by the Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program from Bakersfield, California, sponsored by Clinica Sierra Vista, providing compassionate and affordable care since 1971. A man is who he thinks about all day long. Waldo Emerson. This quote basically is telling us that if you're thinking all day, oh, I'm not good enough, I'm bad, I can't do this, then you're probably not going to be able to achieve many of those things or you're just not going to be doing very very good that day. So um, I highly, highly encourage all of you listeners to think positive about yourself, think positive thoughts throughout the day and, you know, be confident and actually thinking positive thoughts probably make you feel more confident throughout the day. So keep that in mind. Hi, uh, my name is Dr. Carranza. And I have a special guest today. We have a fourth-year medical student who is doing a sabai with us. Um, so I'm going to – I have him right next to me, so I'm going <laughs> to ask him, who are you? Hi, uh, my name is Jagdeep Sandhu. I'm a fourth-year medical student, as you mentioned, from Ross University. I'm currently doing my sub-internship in uh, family medicine. Um, originally, I'm from in, uh, Seattle, Uh Came to Bakersfield at the start of my third year. I've been here for about a year now um, and really enjoying it. Oh, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> we like that. Our students <laughs> actually enjoy the rotation. Um, so you almost said India. So you have an Indian ancestry? Yeah. You know, I heard that. I He's like, I'm from in. <laughs> I like, should I say that? <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, so you so, are you have Indian ancestry then? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I do. Okay. Um, any anything you enjoy to do when you are not actively <laughs> doing medical school stuff? Which uh, is pretty much so all outside of that, you know, I love cooking Indian food, uh, awesome. watching sports, especially American football. Go Seahawks! Uh, <laughs> I like meditation, especially early in the morning to start my day. Helps me keep calm. Maybe you can teach all the residents that. That'd be great. We, we need it. <laughs> All right. Um, so what did you learn this week, Jay? So this week uh, we had a patient that came in with vertigo. So we learned about dizziness and vertigo and its differentials. Mm -hmm. uh, it's important to differentiate dizziness versus lightheadedness because uh, a lot of these patients will come in saying that they're dizzy. But when they truly mean is they're uh, lightheaded. So 
to be honest, dizziness uh, is one of the toughest complaints to get from because it's very hard to uh, pinpoint the etiology of it. Right. So what kind of what kind of questions would you ask the patients to kind of help you as a physician determine which one it is? Yeah. So uh, you can ask, uh, do you feel like you're going to pass out? Uh, have you mm. been experiencing any sense of darkness that is coming in front of your eyes? These questions, uh, if they say yes to that, more likely pinpoint towards syncope. Uh, Lightheadedness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, versus uh, if the room is spinning and they're having nausea or vomiting, they're having ringing in their ears, that points more towards uh, actual vertigo. Gotcha. Um, so I know that there are a couple of differentials. Um, and they uh, There are a few differentials, but they there are some that are peripheral and some that are central. I believe peripheral is anything that has to do with damage to the ear and its structure surrounding the ear. And the central one is more damage to the structures in the brainstem. So can you tell us a little that's, bit more about maybe the different the differentials for each one? Yeah, that's correct. So we'll start with the peripherals first. Uh, so one of the most common causes of peripheral uh, vertigo is a condition known as benign paroxysmal positional vertigo, BPPV. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a transient episode of vertigo caused by uh, stimulation of the vestibular sense organs, uh, most commonly due to the calcium debris that gets stuck within the uh, posterior semicircular canals. Uh, known as canelotiasis, usually affects middle-aged to older patients, uh, twice as likely in women versus men. And classically, this presents as a brief spinning sensation brought on by a sudden turning in bed of your head and tilting the head backwards when you're trying to look up, typically. Uh, the dizziness is quite brief, usually seconds, and it's rarely ever minutes. Uh, so the way you can diagnose BPPV is uh, with a maneuver called Dick's Hall Pick. Oh, how do you do that? So you want to have the patient sitting on the bed, uh, their head turned 45 degrees to one side, typically the affected side, and then you help them lie back quickly. Quickly is the key here because you're trying to reposition the uh, the, uh, the calcium cr- crystal that's stuck in their head. Mm-hmm. So you lie them back quickly and let their ha- uh, head hang uh, slightly over the edge of the bed and... Uh, it's really hard to um, have your eyes open while you're doing that. So you want to remind your patients to keep your eyes open. So what you're looking out for is uh, any type of horizontal or a rotational nystagmus, which is basically diagnostic for a BPPV. Oh, and if, let's say, they do have that, is there something you can do about it? Or yeah, so it? if you notice that, uh, there's a maneuver called Epley's, uh, mm-hmm. which is basically you notice the nystagmus happening. Uh, you have them turn to their side completely, like basically laying on their side. Mm-hmm. And you want to have them lay in that position for at least 60 seconds. That, you know, you're basically trying to maneuver the patient's uh, uh, ear canals to where the, the calcium crystal can come out. So if you're laying on the side, have them sit there, uh, lay there for 60 seconds, then sit them up and then wait there for 60 seconds. That essentially cures it. If not, you can repeat the maneuver as needed and... Uh, Mm-hmm. And just a quick question, because I'm always a little bit confused about it. So after you do the first maneuver, the Dick's Hole Pike maneuver, mm-hmm. and they're kind of having their head tilted, hanging to that side, mm-hmm. they then turn their body towards the same side? Yeah, then Got- you turn the body completely, oh, so they're laying gotcha. on their side. Gotcha. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh. And also, if you don't know how to do the maneuver, mm-hmm. you can send the patient to physical therapy. 
Oh, <laughs> they can do that there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good to know. All right. Um, so you mentioned BPPV. Uh, what other differentials can you tell us about for peripheral vertical? So some of the other ones are uh, vestibular neuritis. This is basically an inflammation of the vestibular nerve, usually caused by a viral infection. Uh, it's very rapid onset of a se severe uh, persistent vertigo, nausea, vomiting, and uh, gait instability. Usually the herring is preserved, but if they have unilateral herring loss, uh, it's diagnosed as labyrinthitis. Um, you can usually uh, diagnose this with a positive head impulse maneuver. It was also called the head thrust test. So you want to have the patient sitting on their chair and uh, you want to have them look straight in the back of the room somewhere, have them point, uh, point their eyes at the clock or something. Mm -hmm. And then you turn their head towards the right suddenly. And if you see any saccades or their head or their eyes are lagging with the movement, that's a positive for uh, something is wrong with the uh, vestibular system. Gotcha. And uh, usually they also have gait instability, but uh, they're able to ambulate. So their main their function remains. Mm -hmm. So this lasts a few days and uh, usually resolves spontaneously. Okay, that's good. Yeah. So uh, moving on to another one is the herpes mm -hmm. zoster oticus. Uh, this is another cause of peripheral vertigo. Mm -hmm. um, this occurs due to latent VZV virus in the geniculate ganglion. Mm -hmm. um, patients, patients usually complain of uh, ear pain and vertigo. Uh, on exam, you'll find the classic vesicles in the auditory canal and the auricle. Uh, if there's a ipsilateral facial palsy involved, this is also known as Ramsey's Hunt syndrome. So if you have that involved, that's uh, that's a different diagnosis. It's kind of the same, but you have the facial palsy as well. A little worse. Little yeah. <laughs> and you can treat that uh, as soon as you see those vesicles and these symptoms, you can treat that with acyclovir or corticosteroids. Gotcha. Yeah. And uh, last one, not least, uh, one of the most common causes is Meniere's disease. Uh, this occurs due to excessive uh, endolymphatic fluid pressure which causes episodic inner ear dysfunction, resulting in the classic triad of vertigo, which lasts for minutes to hours. Um, in BPPV, that vertigo usually lasts seconds and rarely ever minutes, so this is a longer-lasting vertigo, uh, associated with unilateral tinnitus and uh, hearing loss. Uh, unfortunately, the hearing loss can sometimes be permanent, and it usually affects one year, although uh, it can occur in any age. Most cases start with young adults and uh, middle-aged adults. And this is diagnosed basically by clinical features. You can get an audiogram to uh, assess the uh, hearing loss, mm -hmm. and patients usually go into remission spontaneously, but it usually recurs. Gotcha. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to mention uh, about the herpes zoster oticus, uh, when it is the Ramsey, Ramsey Hunt syndrome or it's very severe, um, per up to date, <laughs> you can not, you don't only treat with oral, but you can also do IV medications no. as well. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. So, Jay, some people are going to hear the word tinnitus and they're going to think they're saying it incorrectly. So, <laughs> what would you say to those people? So. <laughs> When I was doing my uh, ENT rotation, I actually pronounced it as tinnitus, and uh, I was corrected right away to the the correct pr pronunciation for this word is tinnitus, not tinnitus. <laughs> Good job. Um, so, any other causes for peripheral vertigo? Yeah. So, bunch of other causes. Uh, 
or include uh, labyrinthine concussions, usually refers to tra traumatic uh, peripheral vestibular injury. Another one is uh, perilymphatic fistula. This is a complication of a head injury, barrier trauma, or heavy lifting, which That's basically terrible. forms a yeah, <laughs> forms a fistula that develops at the otic capsule. Mm -hmm. And one of the most common ones in babies is am aminoglycoside toxicity. Mm -hmm. And uh, last one, not least, is the vestibular schwannoma. This is unilateral usually and seen in uh, neurofibromatosis uh, type 2. Gotcha. Yeah. So you've talked about peripheral. Now, what about like the most common um, diagnosis for the central vertigo? So central ones are usually more severe. Uh, one of the one of the first ones is the vestibular migraine. Uh, the mechanism of this is unknown, as usually in children and female adults. Uh, so you have to rely on a patient's history for the vertigo associated with the migraine headaches. And that typically presents with the classic symptoms uh, such as uh, visual aura, photophobia, and phonophobia. And uh, you can uh, treat this with just like the regular migraine. Yeah, for the most part. I think that triptans were not necessarily recommended for more like meclizine or benzos. they mentioned benzos too. I don't know. That's a <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that, but you know, sometimes if it helps, then yeah. yeah. Um, uh -huh, so another one. another one is a brainstem ischemia. This is usually due to embolic or atherosclerotic occlusion of the uh, vertebrobasilar arterial system. A few things fall under this category, such as the TIA, uh, Wallenberg syndrome, also known as a lateral medullary infarction, uh, labyrinthine infarction, which is the occlusion of the anterior inferior cerebral artery. Uh, in order to diagnose these, you need the imaging of the head and treat the diagnosis according to the ideology because these go quickly very bad. Yeah, you're probably going to see these at the hospital more. Yeah. And if you see these it in clinic, good. send yeah. them to the send ED. Them, get an ambulance. Yeah. You said quickly very bad again. <laughs> Wait, oh. did I? Wait, so so goes... we practice this before <laughs> before we actually record it? <laughs> it's okay, but so very bad, quickly. But very quickly. Yeah. Sounds good. I Sounds wrote good. it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Good job. You're doing great. <laughs> so, why is this knowledge important to you and like to us in general? To yeah. Our, so, our usually you see a lot of patients with vertigo. And as I mentioned, this is a very hard to pinpoint this ideology. You know, yeah. it is important. So, for when you're working with uh, at both the clinic and the hospital to recognize these serious concerns of vertigo, such as the brainstem ischemias. Uh, this can help us plan for intervention and prevent serious consequences. Yeah, quickly, right? Quick, <laughs> quick <yeah>. intervention. <laughs> all um, right. And how did you get um, all this knowledge? So most of this came from my ENT rotation. Uh, I did that for two weeks. Uh, I highly recommend it to all the med students who are in their third year. I yeah. uh, worked with Dr. Trang. He helped me learn all of this oh, every day in his clinic. Uh, other than that, uh, mostly up to date. Uh, also by the AFP and my attendings that taught me throughout my third year. Yeah, thank you. And I just wanted to say, I actually, because <laughs> we saw the patient together and I'm the resident and I actually learned from my student. So that was great because <laughs> he had the ENT rotation. That and was fresh out of ENT. Yeah, yeah. it's like, oh my gosh, you know, all these different things. That I, you know, I had to look them up, but he just, he was fresh. So that was great. So you can always learn from your students as well <laughs> as your attendings. 
And thank you for being here. Thank you for coming. I know it's been a course, long day. My you're, pleasure. You're on impatient. Thank you for thank having you for me. Thank you for taking the time. This was great. It was our pleasure. Thank you. Speaking Medical. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Gina Chal. I'm going to talk a little bit about otolith. For those of you who don't know, oto means ear and lith means stone. So there are stones located in many unsuspected places of the body, such as the case of this, the otoliths. An otolith is a calcium carbonate structure uh, in the saccule or utricle of the inner ear, specifically in the vestibular system. The saccule and utricle in turn together make the otolith organs. An otolith can cause great trouble if it's out of its regular place. When otoliths are dislodged from their usual positions within the utricle, they can migrate into the semicircular canals, most commonly the posterior canal. Therefore, moving the head can cause movement of the heavier otolith debris in the affected canal, causing abnormal endolymph fluid displacement and result in the sensation of vertigo. So that is the very reason why we perform the Epley maneuver. It essentially assists in the movement of the otolith out of the semicircular canal. So everyone, remember the word otolith. Hi, this is Dr. Carranza on our section, Spanish, por favor. The word of the week is sereno. Uh, oh, yeah, I wanted to play some waves crashing in the background, so guys, just pretend. <laughs> sereno is a state of mind, a peaceful feeling. To be sereno means to be calm, peaceful, untroubled, tranquil. Sometimes when people are frustrated or too excited, you can say sereno, no te preocupes which means um, you can kind of translate it to chill, don't worry. Um, sometimes you might ask someone how they're doing and they can say sereno or serena, sin preocupaciones, which means calm, without worries. Nowadays, not many people might actually feel that way, but you can always remind them to lay back, relax, and take a deep breath, sereno. Okay. Um, yeah, and so, you guys, little disclosure here is that I actually uh, looked up this word, and I worked on the definition, and then I spoke to Dr. Ariasa, and that's not really the definition that he meant when he <laughs> gave me the word sereno, so actually, I'm going to have him explain a little bit. <laughs> well, the definition is 100% accurate, So, but there is other definitions, other meanings to the word. Mm -hmm. So I want to uh, explain a little bit about folk medicine and the word sereno. Mm. Okay, sereno, it's kind of like an energy that is around the, you know, by the sunset around that time. It's like a humidity that is on the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And people believe that uh, that humidity can make you sick. Mm. So if you shower uh, late at night, and you go outside, so you know the sereno can make you sick or can give you a disease. If you're sick and you go outside when there is sereno, when there is humidity, then you can you might get worse. So you can even end up in the emergency because of the sereno. Oh my gosh. So, so <laughs> some medications, you know, um, like herbal teas or herbal preparations that they have, they put it in a bottle and then they put it outside at night 
So the sereno somehow creates some reaction or chemical oh. reaction in that medication and it makes it better. It protects you from the sereno. Yeah, I don't wow. know what that is, but you know, and that's just that it's just important to know that folk medicine and the word sereno, at least in many other countries, I know that at least in Mexico is used that way and in Venezuela. Oh. Uh, but probably Peru doesn't know, yeah. doesn't have the sereno. I, I've never heard it. But I don't know, maybe my parents have. <laughs> okay. But yeah, that's another word, another meaning uh, for sereno, humidity outside when it's uh, at the nighttime. Or it's also to be outside without shelter, you know, and, and that means to be in el sereno. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. I learned something new today. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Claudia, for no. explaining the word sereno to us. No, thank you, Dr. Arias. <laughs> Hey, you want to hear a really good Batman impression? Sure. Not the kryptonite! That's Superman. Thanks, man. I've been practicing. <laughs> you got it? <laughs> man, eBay is so useless. I tried to look up lighters, and all they had was 13,749 matches. Oh, I just saw my roommate. She tripped and fell while carrying a laundry basket full of ironed clothes. Man, I watched it all unfold. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I made a playlist for hiking. It has music from Peanuts, The Cranberries, and Eminem. I call it my trail mix. Ah, nice. <laughs> That's a good one. job. Now we conclude our episode number 32, Vertigo. Dr. Carranza and Jigdeep had an entertaining conversation about the differential diagnosis of peripheral and central vertigo. Don't forget to practice the Diggs Hall Pike and Epley's maneuvers for BPPV. Autolith is a tiny stone located in the inner ear that can cause vertigo when it gets stuck in the semicircular canals. The word sereno is an adjective pretty much the same as the English serene. However, Dr. Carranza explained that sereno is a noun that refers to the humidity in the air thought to be the cause of many ailments in some Latin cultures. Thanks for listening to Rio Bravo Kiwi. If you have any feedback about this podcast, please contact us by email at rbresidency at clinicaservista.org or visit our website, riobravofmrp.org backslash qweek. This podcast was created with educational purposes only. Please visit your primary care physician for additional medical advice. This week, we thank Hector Ariaza, Ariana Lundquist, Claudia Carranza, Jagdeep Sandhu, Gina Cha, and Tana Parker. Audio by Sarajam Ruthia. See you next week. <laughs>